everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the Communications Coordinator at High Point Church, and this episode is part of an ongoing series called The Cutting Room Floor. The reason we have this series is because when Nick is preparing for a sermon, there's a lot of content that has to get cut for time's sake. In these podcast episodes, Nick is able to expand more on his sermons. In this episode, you'll hear from Nick, Hannah Ahn, and John Zikatowski as they discuss some questions raised by people about Nick's sermon this past Sunday, November 24th, and also to give some more application points that didn't fit into the sermon. The original sermon is called The Vocations of Working and Leading, and if you haven't listened to it yet, you should probably listen to it before listening to this episode. You can find it at highpointchurch.org sermons or on our sermons podcast. As always, if you have any questions or feedback from listening to this episode, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is Hannah. Let's uh, introduce ourselves, gentlemen. I'm Nick Gibson. I'm the senior pastor here at High Point. And I'm John Skotowski, the director of Kids Ministry. And we are here today to do a cutting room floor episode discussing the sermon from November 24th titled The Vocations of Working and Leading. This was a sermon covering Ephesians chapter 6 verses 5 through 9, uh, best known for discussing the relationship between slaves and masters as Paul's teaching the church how to act out living out your calling in Christ. And this was an episode where as with many, there was a lot of content that didn't make it into the sermon. And it's also a particularly kind of sticky topic that we wanted to make sure we do justice to, or at least try, mm-hmm. um, give it the old college try. So yeah. So, so in the podcast feed right before this episode, mm-hmm. there should be a republished sermon where I specifically talk about slavery mm-hmm. in the Bible all mm-hmm. the way through. And I talk about that specifically for like an hour. So yes. That sermon is something from 2014. So we republished that just so people could hear that content because mm-hmm. that's not what I, in the sermon, I, ta- I talked about the concept of hierarchy. Yes. Yeah, that's episode 152 um, if you're looking for that episode. Right. So we highly recommend you go back and listen to that if you have questions about slaves and masters specifically. We recommend you go back and listen to the sermon from this recent Sunday and... I also think that for Christians that want to be able to speak intelligently about their faith, the attack, mm-hmm. hey, isn't there slavery in the Bible? Mm-hmm. And isn't the Bible okay with that? Those sorts of kind of like perfectly reasonable to bring up, but fairly mm-hmm. ignorantly asked kind sure. of ideas are things Christians are going to want to know about. Mm-hmm. Whereas Christians 40 years ago may have wanted to know the argument to defend the, the historicity of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Now, most of the objections to Christian faith are moral in nature, not historical mm-hmm. in nature. And you need to understand how to defend scripture and Christian truth morally. And I think this is one of the areas that you'll get a lot of questions, especially in a place like Madison or any secular city. Mm-hmm. Good. So the key idea of the sermon was, about embracing hierarchies under King Jesus, who is the highest ultimate authority, who rewards the good and is no respecter of persons. And one of the issues that, or questions that came out of the sermon was, um, is hierarchy really an endemic part, a, a natural part of the human experience? People asked for some supporting resources, some further discussion on that, and Nick, you wanted to elaborate on it a little. Yeah, the, the, so the question isn't, does the Bible support it, which it does in numerous places, and that's just a different question. So um, so f- first of all, anybody who asks that question, one of the things, the first things I would direct them to just is their personal experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That everywhere where there have been people they have experienced some form of formal or informal hierarchy, mm-hmm. right? But in addition to that, so there's a couple things here. So in understanding social hierarchies, the neural and psychological foundations of status perception um, by a by American and Chinese scholars, the very first um, statement in the abstract is, social groups across species rapidly self-organize into hierarchies where members vary in their level of power, influence, skill, and dominance. And the abstract goes on to say, Okay, it's true not only in the human species, but every basically every species mm-hmm. of biological being immediately organizes themselves in hierarchies. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then the, then the question that the article goes into, which is quite long, is how do we understand it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the, so the big argument in the social science, well, let me read a couple others first. So in status hierarchies, status hierarchies, do we need them? It's an article in Psychology Today. 
after a little waxing eloquent in the beginning, he comes to his main proposition, which is, unfortunately, there are not too many examples of groups or societies without social hierarchy. That is, that social hierarchy appears to be endemic. We can mm-hmm. artificially try to get rid of it in a, in a really small situation for ideological reasons. But even in those places, they tend to revert back to hierarchy and everywhere else already has it. And so yeah. um, he, sa- he says, it's important to point out the adaptive benefits of having hierarchies in society because most of these articles will discuss the evolutionary history of hierarchy. The assumption is, is that the reason we have hierarchies today and we have them everywhere has to be a very deep reason. Mm-hmm. And so therefore the depth of that reason is probably because it evolved in less primitive or in more primitive hu- organisms and human societies, which leads to the real controversy in the social sciences surrounding hierarchy, whether people are on the sort of left or right politically, which is, is that a tragedy mm-hmm. or is that just a fact? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. some people would say, well, natural history is full of horrifically amoral stories, mm-hmm. right? Like lobsters don't care about good or evil, mm-hmm. right? Or, or, chimpanzees or right and so if we evolved out of that it may be that this is an unfortunate bug in our evolutionary history that we should try to reprogram ourselves out of Mm. other people we could do better kind of idea right Right. we could do better right and then other people would say no this is just a fundamental of biological existence there is no way around this all you can do is make it better or worse Mm. and that it's morally neutral because there are lots of reasons for hierarchies Mm -hmm. right and some of those reasons are terrible like dominance enslavement um, brutality, mm-hmm. right? But then there are other perfectly reasonable and good reasons for hierarchy, like agreement mm-hmm. like between a husband and a wife. There may be a hierarchy, and that may be on the basis of agreement or complementarity between mm-hmm. the genders. Also, um, capacity mm-hmm. and division of labor, for example. One of the reasons we can be highly productive as human beings, where, you know, if you go back years and years and years um, before a very clear division of labor, and the increase of technologies, we were much less productive as a race of people, mm-hmm. and everybody was everybody was on the verge of starvation except for a very high class of people. With the increase of a more defined hierarchy of division of labor, the hierarchy became wider, more pronounced, and and ultimately, in terms of the height of the hierarchy, less hierarchical. Mm-hmm. So, in some ways, if you don't have so instead of saying let's have a hierarchy or not no you're going to have a hierarchy so you better understand hierarchies Mm. and you better understand how one hierarchy might be better than another Mm -hmm. and how hierarchies can be reformed or deformed over Mm -hmm. time so that you know what you're really looking for right right? and underneath of this of course is a uh, realistic understanding of human anthropology right of what is a human and how humans function right yeah, and so um, for, so for some people in social sciences, that anthropology is merely an evolutionary anthropology, which mm-hmm. is we rose up in nature red in tooth and claw, and so we're terrible to each other, and so hierarchy is just one example of that. For others, I would conclude myself in this other one, is that, well, it could be that, or it could just be that hierarchy is the most effective way to survive, mm-hmm. and it's the most productive way to live, mm-hmm. and it actually is, is also the most just way to live, because mm-hmm. people aren't equal. They're equal in their dignity, Right. Like those of us who are Christians and are religious, we can believe in a foundational human nature or mm-hmm. image of God in people that it has equal dignity. But if you look at individual persons, you test individual persons and you try individual persons, they're not equal. Mm-hmm. We're not equally capable. We're not equally willing. We're mm-hmm. not equally interested. Right. We aren't equal. Mm-hmm. And so what hierarchy does is it seeks to place people in an efficient way relative to their capacity. So you get as much out of them as you can, mm-hmm. but not more than they can actually do in a way right. that's highly productive because we're also not just, because there's this fine line between being in cooperation with each other and in competition with each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that produces markets and markets are the most efficient means mm-hmm. if they don't have corruptions and perverse incentives in them are the most efficient means to get the most out of people through this balance of cooperation and competition. Mm-hmm. So right. I think if you understand some, some basics about hierarchies like that, you can say, okay, what we need to do is we need to keep reforming the hierarchies, mm-hmm. know what a good hierarchy looks like, what a bad one looks like, and engage in public actions, either in government or personal actions in our own families yeah. that lead to the constant renewal of hierarchies rather yeah. than just waving a gun around and saying these are terrible. Let's yeah. get rid of them. Even though we have no idea what a human society could possibly look like without hierarchies, mm-hmm. and right. even if we were able to force people out of hierarchies, they would just recreate them again in about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right, because assuming, I mean, assuming your goals are noble, assuming you're going after something that would actually enrich the lives of people, if you want to get there effectively, you probably want to figure out who's going to be the best at doing this. Right. And the moment the moment you do that, you've established a hierarchy. So mm-hmm. if I want to make a computer chip and I've got 100 random people, probably the first thing I want to do 
is find out who can actually make a computer chip and maybe they should direct where this <laughs> ship is going. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why rejecting hierarchy and instead of saying hierarchy should be based on competence mm-hmm. and morality, like who is the most virtuous and most competent person? That's who should be in charge, right? If you don't do that, what you get is the most charismatic and the most crowd pleasing person mm-hmm. in charge. Yeah. Right. Which is the, which is why democracy is a terrible form of government, except for all the others. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the death knell of democracy, the reason why democracy almost always produces chaos in the end, which is why the founders of America said, we hate democracy. We hate monarchy. We have to create something sort of in between like a mm-hmm. rights based Republic that has democratic functions. Mm-hmm. The reason they did that was because you don't want a monarch because they will corruptly hold on to power. You don't want a democracy because they will elect the crowd pleaser, mm-hmm. right? And you'll get a populist leader who is usually incompetent. Hmm. The problem with the crowd pleaser is they'll say anything to get elected, which means they're usually going to be immoral and not virtuous. Mm-hmm. And they can't actually do any of the things that they're saying. Yeah. So they'll be incompetent. So you'll get the best talker who's both immoral and incompetent, and it'll destroy the the um, the quality of your hierarchy. Mm-hmm. If instead mm-hmm. you can create a hierarchy where you actually get the most competent people, mm-hmm right? And you hold them accountable in a way that doesn't create a sclerotic bureaucracy, then you can really, really get, and the only way to do that really is usually through competition in the market. Yeah. So businesses are much less likely to fall into sclerosis, like, like so much bureaucracy and so much, so many layers of differential accountability that you can't actually do anything Mm -hmm. and it's not efficient anymore. It's watched over, but nothing happens. Yeah. Businesses have to find that right torsion between acting, doing competently and having enough accountability so things don't go awry. And the reason they could do that is because of the direct competition with their competitors. So you have that that fine balance between cooperation and competition. Mm-hmm. That's what a free market really does. And so that's what you need in almost every situation. Yeah. And so understanding that, understanding you want hierarchies of competence and virtue is really important, which is one of the reasons why I don't love the way Jordan Peterson always talks, though I, though I like a lot of what he says about this. Mm-hmm. I think he would say virtue is part of competence. Hmm. And so I can just say competence, but I think a Christian should make sure yeah. that that's yeah. clearly part of it right? because it is essentially virtue. That is the only thing that can really continually renew mm-hmm. a, a good hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Um, this is slightly off point, but I just want to point out that combining this podcast and the sermon, you've used the word sclerotic or a derivative of it three times. And I had to look up what that meant. So for all of you out there, I'm with you. If you had to look up what the word sclerotic meant, um, you're not alone. Would We're you all wish in to this together. It for the people? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a, a sclerosis is it's a reference to like a medical condition where like hardening of yeah, there's yeah. like a hardening of things so they're not uh, flexible enough that anymore sense. to accomplish their biological like, purpose. Yeah, yeah. So if you have a sclerosis in your back, yeah. your back won't really bend and twist and move the way it should mm-hmm. to accomplish what needs to be. And or, that happens to organizations. Mm-hmm. As they get older, you get more and more bureaucracies built on top of each other, more people controlling how things are done, more things, more people watching and less people doing. Mm-hmm. And the more that happens, the less vibrant activity mm-hmm. is happening. Yeah. That, and that happens to governments a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The United States is really struggling with this right now, that we have a lot of sclerosis in the bureaucracies of our government. Mm-hmm. But this can happen in businesses that are highly effective. It can also happen in businesses that start to capture government. Mm -hmm. Like if a business is big enough to tell the government what it wants in terms of regulations, then it can force those regulations on other businesses so they can't compete. Mm -hmm. But it also means they have to have all these new bureaucracies Mm -hmm. to fulfill the requirements they got the government to put on them. Yeah, now they're surrounded by something inflexible. And now they have to create this huge bureaucracy that's part of their own thing. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of ways sclerosis can happen. Or it can can happen happen to your personality. In churches, absolutely. It yeah. can happen in your own personality. You get yeah. too stuck doing things one way and you just, you don't want to be flexible anymore. Mm-hmm. That's common with, as people get older like me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That was very enlightening. And also you're welcome for the bonus word of the day. Is there more on the topic of the endemic? I think for people skeptical about yeah. hierarchies in the, on the website, Aeon, A-E-O-N, there is a, there is an article entitled In Defense of Hierarchy by three scholars, um, including at least they're and they're not all like Western ethnicities who wrote it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's a pretty good defense of okay. what is good about hierarchies and why they're useful in human existence. Great. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. Uh, another issue or question that came out of the sermon was related to an example that you used, Nick, in the sermon about, um, I think for context, I really appreciated the way you talked about how we have to have um, 
our philosophy has to be based in a realistic understanding of the world. Right. Um, we, we can't be so focused on what we believe the ideal should be that we can't work within the world as it is. Mm-hmm. And right. w- one of the examples you used was, what do you say to someone who's in sex tra- slavery today, modern sex trafficking? And you used an example from India. Um, and yeah, as somebody who has literally been in yeah. that conversation with somebody. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I think I mean, there was just some confusion about what exactly you were advising in that case. Right. And um, maybe you could just flesh that out a little more. Yeah. So, okay, before I, before I do that, um, there's essentially two ways, especially younger people as they're going through the process of moral formation, mm-hmm. have to deal with the fact that the world is a very screwed up place, mm-hmm. right? So you, you want to kind of grow up with the idea that like there's a lot of good in the world and like the world is a morally ordered place. Mm-hmm. Most parents want their kids to believe that the world is a morally ordered place and they try to make a home that is a morally ordered place mm-hmm. where what you say is right is also what people do. Mm-hmm. And so at every child at some point as you grow up into adulthood or sometimes early in childhood, you realize that the thing that mommy and daddy says is right mm-hmm. isn't what people do. Mm-hmm. Or what they always do. Or what they always do. Right. Yeah, and that when people don't do what's right, mm-hmm. they don't pay for it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So I remember um, this happening with one, with one of my kids that mm-hmm. one of my kids was starting to lie. Mm-hmm. And the, my two older kids were like getting on about their high horse about why this person was lying. And we had this conversation about like, look, it's how are you treating our family? Mm-hmm. You do all kinds of things wrong. Mm-hmm. You keep teaching this other child over and over and over again that what we all say is right isn't what we do. Mm-hmm. so then why is it surprising to you that he would start not doing what's right mm-hmm. when you do things that are wrong and you don't always get punished for them because you hide them and you sneak around and so he's learning that the world is more like a junkyard mm-hmm. than it is like a courtroom mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it's no it's no wonder that he would start to live by the junkyard law right mm-hmm. and so one of the things that everybody has to do is they realize at some point that there is this claim that there's right and wrong in the world it's in some ways objective you shouldn't torture an innocent baby like you shouldn't you should serve others. Altruism is good. Like there's this basic natural law that people have a connection to. And they're usually told about by their culture. And then they realize that there are at least many places and many times in the world where that is simply not done mm-hmm. and people don't seem to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so you have, you only have a couple of options when that happens. One is nihilism mm-hmm. or preparatory nihilism, which, which is when you go, well, then nothing matters. Mm-hmm. Right. Like all this, all this idealistic stuff, all this right. true, false, good, uh, that's all bull crap. Right. I'm going to play as short term of a game as I can. Right. And it's kind of like, but I mean, there's a couple of ways you can come out of that. It's like once you decide there's nothing to this objective stuff, mm-hmm. you can either, you can be the younger brother or the older brother to use the prodigal yeah. son story. You can do be as short, as short sighted as you can be. Mm-hmm. You know, spend all the money, hang out with prostitutes, like do the best drugs you can afford, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of deal. And hopefully get a job where you can pay for it all, right? Mm-hmm. Or an inheritance would be better right or you could be the older brother where you like play all the games Mm. so that people will respect you and open doors for you so that you can but you're going to do something like that right Mm -hmm. the other option is to say okay wait this is good good and bad are still real they're objectively Mm -hmm. real and people don't do them Mm -hmm. and those and you have to look that in the face and decide whether or not you can believe those can both be true at the same time Mm. okay Mm -hmm. most human beings can't it's one of the reasons why a minority of people are ever going to be truly believers in the biblical sense, because you have to look at a world in which the sovereign God says, this is right. And this is wrong. Hmm. And people don't do it. And they appear to get away with it. And the Bible is full of explorations of this poetically and emotionally. Like the the psalmist, like Psalm 73 is a great example of this. Mm -hmm. Like I almost lost my faith because I looked at the the actions of the wicked Mm -hmm. and they live long and they're wealthy and my life is hard and I do what's Mm -hmm. right. And Job is like this too, right? Where, there's a belief that like, no, if God punished you, it was because you were bad. Mm-hmm. And then Job's like, you know, there are drug dealers in Miami who have never <laughs> been in prison or doing a great, like their lives are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like that's just not true. <laughs> right. And so Job tries to say that there isn't a relationship like you think there is mm-hmm. between people doing right and being punished by God. The two are not the same, at least for now. Mm. So Christians believe in what's called eschatology. That is in the end, God will do something. Yeah. He will judge the living, and the dead. He will pay back people for what they deserve and he will mediate what should have been mediated all along. Right. 
either you can look the universe in the face and believe that or you can't, mm-hmm. right? That is one of the, and I don't say that like it's a predetermined thing. What I'm saying is that's the biggest, it's one of the biggest decisions you'll ever make in your life. Mm-hmm. And see, most people make the decision without ever consciously knowing they're making that decision, mm-hmm. right? So when I've been in some of these moments, like the two biggest ones in my, in my missions work have been that one where I was in, in, in Mumbai, I was in the red light district. I was sitting with these three HIV positive um, sex trade women who were, for all intents and purposes in slavery, mm-hmm. right? And um, there, there, I couldn't get, I didn't have any means by which to get them out of the slavery, mm-hmm. right? And then the other was when I went to the Dominican Republic and I went to a home for profoundly disabled children mm. where kids couldn't move, couldn't talk, mm. couldn't express themselves. Um, they seemed like they were beneath animals mm. in their cognitive ability. It was very difficult for me to grapple with them bearing the image of God. Mm-hmm. There's a there's the nihilistic part of me that says we should just kill all these children. Mm. Like just get a nice like we should just give them lethal injections. They'll, they won't feel a thing. They'll all be dead, right? And for me to as a Christian to be like, I have to look at these kids and I need to say, okay, this is a child made in the image of God who deserves to live, mm-hmm. live as well as we can help them live, mm-hmm. and deserves our love and affection, even in this state mm-hmm. under a curse. That was one of the most difficult moments of my life, honestly, mm-hmm. because yeah. there was so much torsion between what I believed the beauty of moral truth ought to be mm-hmm. and the reality of the cursed earth is mm-hmm. and my patience wondering how God could be more patient than that yeah. mm-hmm. when it seemed like it would be a virtue to be less patient. Yeah. I think everybody struggles with that. Mm-hmm. They look at what's wrong with the world and they say, I'm impatient with this. If God were morally greater than me he would be less patient than me not more patient than me Mm -hmm. because it would be a virtue to be less patient than me yeah and yet god seems to be more patient and that's a problem right Mm -hmm. so given that right people will then look at a situation like this and be like okay what the heck Mm -hmm. do i tell somebody in this situation so um yeah i got one email from a small group who said they had a very lively discussion (laughs) about this like what do you tell a prostitute i had a very lively discussion with my husband about this too (laughs) yeah yeah and so um there were some people who said if somebody's a Christian, they cannot continue to engage in prostitution, period, full stop. Mm-hmm. Even if it's coerced. Mm-hmm. They just can't do it. Better to die. Mm-hmm. Or I, they didn't say kill yourself, but they were like, you know, you just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one view, mm-hmm. right? Another view is you say, um, you just serve God as much as you can in this mm-hmm. situation you find yourself, mm-hmm. right? And we'll try to help you get out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, or you just say, well, have a nice life, you know? Um, in this case, it was complicated by things like the power structure is very diffuse. There was no government interest in mm-hmm. rescuing these women. Another is is that there was a government program to give these women antiretrovirals, mm. but it was necessary for them to be able to be found by the government worker who would mm-hmm. come and give them to them on a regular basis. Mm. So to escape to the countryside mm. would also be death. a medical death sentence, right? So um, so it would be a kind of suicide in a way and et cetera, mm-hmm. right? And so what I actually did mm-hmm. was um, I, I did not tell them they had to get out of the profession. Mm-hmm. It seemed to me obvious and clear from what they said mm-hmm. that they would like to, mm-hmm. but that they didn't see any way to do it at that time. I yeah. did discuss with their pastors mm-hmm. what was being done to try to make that possible. Mm-hmm. And the answer was discouraging. Mm. They were like, we've tried seven or eight different things. But it, this is a very difficult system to penetrate, and the, and the government is not interested in helping us because mm-hmm. there's so mm-hmm. many 14-year-old girls and younger being trafficked that yeah. they're just focusing on them. Mm-hmm. You know, and these these women were probably in their late 30s by by this point, mm-hmm. maybe even early 40s. So they were considered like used up and past mm-hmm. being worried about. So the, the point in my sermon was not like what's the right thing to tell this person, right? Though I think if you have nothing to tell them, it means your faith is wrong. Mm-hmm. I think that's the main point. Mm-hmm. If you can't stand there and say, here is the comfort, right? Like Paul says in first Corinthians seven, he says, if you are a slave, when you're called, mm-hmm. he says, don't let it trouble you. Mm-hmm. Not because it's not wrong, but because you can't do anything about it, but you can serve God as a slave. Mm-hmm. It's his argument, right? You can do that. Now other, a couple of people in some of these like small groups said, okay, I can see like you can serve God as a slave if you're like an ancient Greco-Roman slave. Right. If you're or, working in a field somewhere, if you're working right. in a household. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're picking cotton, mm-hmm. you can you can pick cotton the best you can. Right. right? Um, 
And I, I don't, but like, can you really have sex with people you're not supposed to have sex with? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, that does seem more morally problematic because mm-hmm. the act itself is a sin. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But the slave who picks cotton is still enriching his master and mm-hmm. strengthening the power structures of injustice. Right. I mean, you could argue that picking the cotton is in some ways pretty directly evil. Right. Mm-hmm. But nobody expected those slaves not to pick cotton mm-hmm. because the gun and the whip was at their back. So I, I think that, I, th- I think that that is not an argument that holds any weight with me. Mm-hmm. I realize that's judgment. Like it may be that that's exactly what God would say to a woman, like mm-hmm. better to die than right. to engage in prostitution. If you're a believer, that may be true. If you are strong enough and you are being put into that lifestyle, but like these are women who became Christians after they had been trafficked. Mm-hmm. They were reached in the brothels. I just, I just don't, I don't see that as a real, mm-hmm. and I think, I think you have to first be able to say, if nothing can change, this is what I would say to you. And I think that the Bible is very clear about this, that you serve God as best you can in the situation. So the other women you're in there with, you should love them and serve them the best you can. I think that you, but I, but I also think, I also think that there's biblical precedent for undermining the system that's oppressing you. Mm-hmm. I think that you're allowed to do that. So for example, in the book of I think it's for, I can't remember if it's first or second Kings when Ahab is Ahab's wife is killing all the prophets mm-hmm. of God. And there's a guy, I forget his name right now, who's the prime minister under Ahab. And he is doing all his job like he's supposed to under Ahab, even though Ahab is a terribly evil king. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, on the side, he's hiding like 400 of God's prophets in a cave and sending them food and water mm-hmm. apart from his master's knowledge. And if he found out, he'd kill him. Right. And so that kind of subvert, and, and that guy is considered blessed and God honors him. Mm-hmm. It, there seems to be clear divine approval on that man, mm-hmm. right? Even though he's serving a really terrible boss, he's, he's doing things to support and keep a wicked king in power, mm-hmm. right? As part of his work. And I think that that's a, pr- that's a good biblical precedent to say, mm-hmm. like, if you are in that kind of situation, doing things to undermine that, that you can do, mm-hmm. I think you're free to do that, mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I think it's more complicated. I think you, you need to be able to be able to give them a message that says, don't let it trouble you. Mm-hmm. You're stuck in this. Don't let it trouble you. There's a way to serve Jesus and belong to him in this. And then secondly, if you can get your freedom, do so, is the very next line in First mm-hmm. Corinthians 7. And then thirdly, I think you have the right to engage in meaningful undermining of a profoundly unjust system, if that mm-hmm. seems to be right. And I think that there are biblical precedents for that, mm-hmm. where you, you intentionally subvert your, quote, right authority if that authority is illegitimate enough, mm-hmm. which is of course a judgment call. Right. Um, if you don't mind, I want to maybe pass along a thought experiment someone brought to me sure. relative to this example. Um, you know, we have these two kind of far ends of the extreme. We have mm-hmm. a um, man, woman, child in sex slavery. They, the system is the way it is. They can't get out of it. They're being ordered to do this. Um, resisting, would mean death or not death and just continuing to have to do the same work um, compared to a person who's in debt slavery for a limited number of years. If they have the opportunity to buy themselves out, potentially they're working in a field. Um, I feel like there's some middle ground that I need help bridging. Mm-hmm. For example, if you're a house servant um, and you're, master expects you to do other immoral things like um, try to steal a little at the market um, you know try to get an edge up by um, cutting people short in deals mm-hmm. or physically hurt someone on your behalf um, the slave we wouldn't tell the slave like don't let it trouble you go and beat that guy up yeah it's your job right 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 um, so what advice would you give to a slave in that situation and how does that relate to the woman or man or child in sex slavery? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I, yeah, I see the thought experiment, right? So like <laughs> if there, if there is any situation which you'd say, if you're really going to do, if you're really going to be Jesus servant, you're going to have to say, I'm not doing that. Damn mm-hmm. the consequences. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are examples of this. Soviet Russia had a lot of, them of people who went to right. the Gulag rather than, right chose to lie publicly to go along with the state, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Solzhenitsyn writes about a number of them in the Gulag Archipelago. Mm-hmm. And for most of those people, that was going to be a death sentence, right. right? So they literally basically, they literally basically said, I would rather die mm-hmm. than do this. I think that that in many cases is right, mm-hmm. right? The, the question is, are you damned if you don't do that? Sure. Like, is that is that a particularly heroic mm-hmm. and spiritually empowered way to live? Mm-hmm. Are those the only people going to heaven? In those mm-hmm. situations, right? You know what I mean. This is a huge That's controversy. question of the ancient church, right? Right. I was just going to say that in the ancient church, there were people who were tortured to give to give up their faith, right. mm-hmm. or to give up the Christian writings, right? And that's still happening today in a lot of countries with Christians, right. right? And so the question is, if there's a persecution and person A, who's being pressured at the cost of his life to give up their faith to renounce the faith publicly, and one person says, "Okay," person A says, "Okay, I'll renounce it publicly. I'll I'll be true to the Communist Party," mm-hmm. right? And then the other person says, no, Jesus is my Lord and King. I will not renounce him mm-hmm. for this party, right? And they kill the second guy or they destroy his life, mm-hmm. right? And then the persecution ends, mm-hmm. right? Right. And the person who renounced the faith wants to come back to the church. Right. Can they come in? Are they accepted, right? That was a huge controversy, the ovation right. controversy, I think it was mm-hmm. in the early church. And there were a lot of people who said the answer was no. Mm-hmm. Damn them. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. failed. Right. And the yeah. and the quote Orthodox Church mm-hmm. um, said no, they failed out of weakness and infirmity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they, had, they they experienced a failure of courage mm-hmm. out of out of weakness, and mm-hmm. so we should let them back in. Mm-hmm. And so I think in the case of people in diminished the diminished states of bondage, because remember all forms of slavery or enslavement. They're not just unjust. Mm-hmm. They have a, the social and psychological effect of diminishing mm. the person psychologically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it diminishing their, like an abused, like if you just, you just take an abused woman from here in Middleton, mm-hmm. who's been sexually or emotionally deeply or physically abused, who now can't even remember what it's like to be in a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Or like, like she's been, she hasn't just been wronged, she's been diminished. Mm-hmm. And so her capacity to be like, this is wrong. I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm going to do the right thing. The infirmity created by her, the attack against her, mm-hmm. her victimization is going to diminish that. And so mm-hmm. it feels to me kind of flippant to say, yeah, you just tell that lady to like, mm-hmm. tell her, tell the, her pimp she's never going to do that again. Mm-hmm. And it's just, if she's strong, she'll do it. And if she's not, she's not a Christian. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that that's, and I don't see that in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. I think that the Bible treats human infirmity in those kinds of situations. Mm-hmm differently I, mm-hmm. otherwise why wouldn't Paul have said that to every slave in the Bible mm-hmm. in the New Testament at least mm-hmm. I'm not a slave you can't treat me this way so but I do think that obeying your quote master that is anybody that is those higher than you in the hierarchy follows the same criteria by which you would disobey the government for example sure. right. which is if obeying them is a direct dishonoring of Jesus mm-hmm. then you have the right to disobey them right. you're so, honoring your higher master right? right so I think that if a prostitute does have the guts or the mm-hmm. spiritual empowerment in Christ to say to her master in the brothel, I'm a Christian. I can't do this no matter what you do to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she chose that. Mm-hmm. Then I would commend her mm-hmm. and I would make her a saint and make a statue of her <laughs> in my church. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, but, but it, but even in revelation, remember the martyrs are treated differently than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's something about them that they are more highly honored than mm-hmm. everybody else. And so I've, you know, I think every Christian should want to be a martyr, mm-hmm. at least in the sense of being prepared in heart to be one and mm-hmm. therefore live as a martyr rather than die as one. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are, there's a reason why there's a specific and special honoring to martyrs because mm-hmm. I don't think God expects that of everybody. I think that he calls everybody up to, I think that when we reach our, the peak of our humanity in redemption, we would all be martyrs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't think everybody's there. And mm-hmm. I think that they're still saved mm-hmm. and, re- and loved by God. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I may be talking around a little bit, but I would not say to a prostitute, if you don't do that, yeah. I would say you have the right to do that. You have the right in Christ to stand up for yourself and for others and mm-hmm. do this. But you need to realize that like all the martyrs and like Jesus himself in his crucifixion, God did not save him from the wrath of evil men mm-hmm. when he stood up for what was right. And you may find yourself in the line of Jesus and Stephen and sure. other martyrs, if you choose to do it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I also believe that God will reward you eternally in a special way for it, mm-hmm. like it says in the Book of Revelation. So, I mean, I guess that's how I would deal with that. Yeah. But when I've when I met when I've met with people like that, I I mm-hmm. have said, don't let it trouble you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. For these reasons, you can serve God as best as you can in the situation you're in. Yeah. Though if you can get out of this, you should and we'll try to help. So yeah. does that, like, a way to categorize that? Would would moments like that fall into kind of that category of d- divine concession of like, I'm not telling you the ideal thing, mm-hmm. but I'm telling you something that is that is still a way to be in this moment. Yeah. I, in fact, when I wrote back to um, the small group that wrote to me, I actually started off with a paragraph on what a divine concession is. Yeah. That there are situations where the regime is so bad mm-hmm. that a better thing is available that's still bad. Mm-hmm. So in the Old Testament, for example, um, a divorce is allowed for whatever reasons the couple determines is okay. And Jesus says, the reason that happened is because your hearts were hard. And I don't think he means that their hearts were harder than ours. Mm-hmm. I think he means your hearts were hard about this partly because your cultural expectations and the world you lived in just presumed this. Yeah. And so you wouldn't even consider the idea that this could possibly be wrong. Mm-hmm. And so your, your cultural historical status put together with normal human heart hardness, mm-hmm. you, weren't, you hadn't been prepared for the reality that needed to come. So God made it harder to get divorced and he made it more formalized with a certificate of divorce to lessen the injustice against women in that regime. Right. But he didn't change it to what it should be yet right. until mm-hmm. Christ where he's like, look, you can't get divorced. Right. Except for these very extreme reasons. Right. I think like, poly- yeah, in those polygamy moments, is also he didn't, an example of that. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. in those moments, he didn't damn it. The mo- like the moment right. it happened. Like, right. And so even like there are even um, characters in the Bible who engage in polygamy mm-hmm. that God so God says in the Torah, he's like that the king who could, is going to probably marry numerous women. He said he shouldn't have many wives, hmm. meaning that like I can accept a certain amount of polygamy, but he shouldn't have many. And the reason why God says that in that context is because it'll turn his heart away. Like it'll mm-hmm. destroy him as a person. And because he found polygamy destructive, but in certain situations, like if you have a war where like 48% of the men in a generation are killed off, hmm. polygamy is a very necessary tool for a single generation. Hmm. Right, because in the next generation, if you have polygamy, there's a, an adequate number of children. You should be fifty-fifty again in one mm-hmm. generation. Mm-hmm. So, in theory, um, even where some some of these divine concessions should either make themselves obsolete or or because of a cultural place. But what you want to do is you want to move the culture right so right. that the divine concession becomes less and less workable. And that's precisely what happened with slavery. What mm-hmm. happened with slavery was as Christianity rose in the lands called Christendom. Slavery was less necessary for the for economic reasons, but also less thinkable. Mm-hmm. As there became an increased voice that it was wrong, it became more thinkable for people to have a regime without slaves. Mm-hmm. But they, but not one where everybody was just free. Mm-hmm. And so, for another thousand years, you had serfdom, mm-hmm. right? Which was better than slavery, but not that much better than slavery. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it was better, right? And so. Um, so, so here's the thing until heaven, there are always going to be divine concessions. Yeah. There are few, less now and some of them are a little less brutal, but really only in certain places of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are some places in the world where, it, where it, it's indistinguishable from the time of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, these are deep waters and probably not going to resolve the issue today, particularly not, not, not in the yeah. like six minutes we have left. But, um, I think... Obviously, if you have more comments or questions on these topics, there's a lot of serious stuff in there. Um, you are warmly invited to send us an email, podcast at highpointchurch.org. Um, we'd love to hear more of your thoughts on it, or if you want us to expand on something in the future, um, we we want to hear from you. Uh, the last thing we wanted to cover today that didn't make it into the sermon was some points of application. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, Let's go through a few of those, Nick. Sure. Um, The first one you have on your list, application number one, King Jesus is the only fully good monarch and king. Right. Right. So um, Christopher Hitchens, when he was still alive, attacked Christianity as fundamentally believing in monarchy and therefore tyranny. Mm. And that it was a horrific religion because it couldn't have a place for human freedom and democracy, which is a horrifically terrible way of thinking about this Mm -hmm. and the way he said it was always enriched by his demagoguery because he was very articulate and said anything with a British (laughs) accent but the 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 problem is is that monarchy is actually the best form of government if you have a perfect monarch Mm. the problem with monarchy is you'd never get a good monarch from generation to generation Mm -hmm. and no single mind can run 
a large, such a large operation because of the problem of local knowledge as Hayek pointed mm. out in the sixties or seventies and won a Nobel prize for, you can't just, you don't, can't know the local information to make mm-hmm. decisions from on high, right? Mm-hmm. None of those problems exist with Jesus. Yeah. Not one of them. He is more moral than anybody else in the entire administration, right? He's the only truly fully good person mm-hmm. and he's 100% competent. And in his omniscience, he has no problem with local knowledge. Mm-hmm. So all of the real objections to monarchy, other than that we should be able to be our own gods, mm-hmm. right? Don't obtain. Mm-hmm. The reason why I have the right to liberty in relationship to the two of you is because you're neither of you are God. Mm-hmm. And I have just as much right to liberty as any of you. And mm-hmm. you certainly don't have the right to inflict your control over me because mm-hmm. we're essentially functional equals. That's not true when you're referring to the creator, right? So there's all kinds of fallacies in that. But I think it's important to recognize that not only is it good that Jesus can be king, but that it is a very great thing mm-hmm. that Jesus is ultimately king and will ultimately be the one who rules fully mm-hmm. in a hierarchy mm-hmm. in heaven in which everybody who enters into that hierarchy will be so redeemed by him that we'll be placed according to our gifts in full competence mm-hmm. and we will be reformed in Christ and by the spirit to be fully mm-hmm. virtuous. And so it can really be the kind of beautiful society mm-hmm. that we are meant to experience mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. And, but yet I think I absolutely think it will have hierarchy in it. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we get at this idea when we talk about the kingdom of God, right? It's it's the world ordered in such a way as it's totally and fully under the authority of the righteous and perfectly capable King Jesus. Yeah, yes. And in addition to that, it's important to remember that the way people will lead hierarchically in heaven is mm-hmm. the same way Christians are supposed to lead hierarchically mm-hmm. right now, which mm-hmm. is that he who wants to be great among you must become your servant. Mm-hmm. And so everybody who will be above us in heaven will be there to serve everybody, mm. quote, beneath mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to feel that and you'll know it and you'll know what they do to serve and love you. Right. And that's the but that's the way we are supposed to serve as Christians. Yeah. So as a senior pastor, I try to I try to say, okay, I'm in a position of responsibility and all of my authority exists so that everybody on our staff team, everybody on our elder board, everybody in our church knows that my life is being poured out to serve them. Mm-hmm. Not that I exist to eat off the fat of the land that they produce by the sweat of their brows. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, and I think when people feel that they go, they love hierarchies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when they don't, they hate them. Well, that leads very naturally into application number two, which is serve Jesus like Jesus serves. So serving right. your boss, your parents, your government, etc., in the way that Christ serves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's true with whatever position you're in, mm-hmm. right? The high, for a Christian, the higher you are in the hierarchy, the more absolutely it needs to be evident that you're serving mm-hmm. the people you're quote in charge of. Well, mm-hmm. and that would be like number three: use authority like Jesus uses authority. So if you are over someone, be over them in the way that Jesus is over them. Mm-hmm. If you are under someone, be under them in the way that Jesus would be under them. Yeah, right. yeah, and it's important because there's there there are less people encouraging mm-hmm. you to do that thing that are above yeah. you as you're increasing in, mm-hmm. in authority. Um, so it's important. It's increasingly, I mean, obviously it's important regardless of where you're serving, but right. it's increasingly important that you are rooted deeply mm-hmm. in an understanding that the one who is over me yes. is the creator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much more I want to say about that. <laughs> How consumerism affects right. it and, and, and corruptions of hierarchy. And right. the higher you get in that, the difficulty is, is that the higher you get in that, the more you are serving other people, especially mm-hmm. if it's in a, through a mechanism that's not highly profitable, mm-hmm. the more difficult it is. Mm-hmm. And yet people think it's easier because the higher you are, the more people think people just do what you tell them. Mm-hmm. It actually becomes, there's more responsibility. It's more complicating. There's more stresses. Mm-hmm. You have to know more things. You're pulled in so many more directions and that stresses you the heck out and people don't really realize it. Realize it. And so you want to comfort yourself by by taking more out of the system mm-hmm. for your, to just to comfort yourself, just mm-hmm. to soothe yourself in all the pain and struggle of being an authority. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of times why you get pastors addicted to pornography, yeah. people in power, like paying for courtesans and like all the kinds of corruption you tend to see with people. Right. A people, a lot of it, like sometimes it's just overspending. You'll find people who are, who are, have big salaries and they yeah. spend every penny that they have. And mm-hmm. you're like, why would they do that? And the answer is because shopping is, and acquiring new things feels good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel as good as like sex maybe with a prostitute, but like it feels good and you can do it a lot mm-hmm. and nobody's going to fire you for it. Right. And so a lot of people soothe themselves that way. For some people it's they're watching videos and they're, you know, they're self-soothing, just little, watching little funny videos on YouTube. There's all kinds of ways people, people do that, but it's important to recognize is that one of the things that I always want people to realize whatever you're on the hierarchy is nobody 
nobody's ju- nobody's place in the hierarchy is like you think it is. Mm-hmm. If you've been in your place more than 10 minutes, mm-hmm. the people below you on the hierarchy are getting squeezed in a different way than the people above you on the hierarchy are getting squeezed. And the differential of incomes is not a sufficient explanation for the differences. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for people to always remember that. Mm-hmm. Cause if you, if you don't know that mm-hmm. you'll never have good leadership mm-hmm. because you will mistreat the people in authority and the people who are truly competent and good at some point will be like, I don't need this. Mm-hmm. There yeah. are lots of other people who will invite me to be competent with them. And I can be at a way lower level of authority and pay all my bills mm-hmm. and I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons, for example, in the United States, why we have really terrible choices a lot of times for our political candidates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because we so viciously attack people right. because it seems super fun. Um, some of the best people and most competent people who could really lead our nation well don't even run for office. Right. And so then we go, well, why are we choosing between these two people? Well, it's because we're incredibly vicious towards everyone mm. and the people who could do anything else mm-hmm. generally do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, number four on your list, uh, embracing hierarchy rightly under King Jesus isn't just right, but is also faithful, spiritually, uh, faithful spiritually, socially just, and promotes human flourishing. Yeah, in principle. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not saying that means that every hierarchy is just. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. What I'm yeah. saying is, is that the Bible affirms hierarchy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from its pre-fall ordinance, God, God telling the first humans to take dominion over the earth. That's a hierarchical word. Mm-hmm. Um, he put us at the top of the natural hierarchy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we're supposed to, but we're still supposed to do that like Jesus. Mm-hmm. The whole, all of creation should feel like we're serving it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm not much of an environmentalist. You know, you guys know me that like I, I tend to think that a lot of environmental things are power grab gimmicks, but, it, but it's true that like that I tend to call myself a conservationist mm-hmm. that, but I really think that all of creation, including everything in the natural world, yeah. if it could speak with human tongue mm-hmm. should mm-hmm. be able to say, I feel that the humans care mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. and for us. And I just don't think that's been the case. And I think that's right. one of the great shames of human existence is mm-hmm. that when you look at our track record, um, we have misused our, the, our inherent hierarchy mm. so badly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, number five, this means understanding stewardship in deeper ways that mm-hmm. we learn how to relate to and use power. Yeah, so one, it, it means having a good doctrine of work and labor and time use, even mm-hmm. leisure, I think, mm-hmm. that those things are meaningful mm-hmm. and that no matter how tedious or repetit- rep- repetitive your job is, your work matters to God yeah. mm-hmm. and how you do it because you're serving him. Right. So there's the direct issue of like pleasing God with the quality of what you do directly, mm-hmm. right? There's a direct line to this sort of eye of God mm-hmm. and God gets to see, not because he like wants to judge you, but like God is looking for a reason to be pleased with you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause he's already pleased in you as a believer. He wants additionally in his relating to you to be pleased with you. And he's looking for any reason to be pleased. And if you just do your work well, he loves that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause your, your work matters because if you're doing a job that isn't parasitic, mm-hmm then your job is contributing to the, to the, the life of other people, mm-hmm. right? Even if you're making a hamburger. Yeah. And so that's important to realize, especially some of the dirtiest jobs like sewage treatment, collecting yeah. garbage. Those are yeah. incredibly meaningful, useful, and important jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Then in addition with people in power, like you've got to realize that that's also true, that your, your use of power is meaningful. And if hierarchies are endemic to human existence and part of God's divine command, then Christians can't just be like, well, power corrupts, so I'm not going to touch it. Mm-hmm. So, sadly, so does sex, and so does food, and so does sure. so do all kinds of things naturally corrupt us in our fallen state. But the problem is, is that some of those things you still have to take hold of. Right. And um, so there it is. I mean, marriages are sort of like designed in the curse to mm-hmm. go badly. Mm-hmm. Um, but God still stands by that organization because if you reject the curse and seek his redemption, marriage mm-hmm. can be for your sanctification and then be for the welfare and happiness of mm-hmm. mankind. Yeah. Um, power, power is similar. If in the flesh you grab a hold of power, yeah, you will destroy yourself and others. Yeah. And so in some ways, the fact that you have to live in a hierarchy and in some cases take hold of power, mm-hmm. it should force you to turn yourself to Christ mm-hmm. and say, I must be transformed because there's no way I can take, mm-hmm. handle the corrupting yeah. influence of, power unless i am being redeemed and renewed every single day yeah Yeah, you have a note on here that rejecting the opportunity for authority sounds like a pious thing it sounds like uh an act of devotion that i don't want to take that position of authority because i know 
the risks of it and I don't want to be an abusive leader, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but opting out yeah. of the system when you have the opportunity to be a leader who's growing mm-hmm. in righteousness with the interest of King Jesus in mind does not enhance the flourishing right. of the world. You right. abdicating that stewardship. Right. It's it, the distinction between um, not wanting to step out in front of a bus because it could kill you. Sure. Fear. Mm-hmm. That fear that causes you not to step in front of the bus is not cowardice. Mm-hmm. Right. Cowardice is only when fear keeps you from doing something you should do or mm-hmm. must do morally. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you have to stand up and take responsibility, mm-hmm. but taking up responsibility means taking up power mm-hmm. and you decide not to take up your responsibility because you fear power. That's the definition of cowardice. Mm-hmm. It's I won't do the thing I morally and spiritually must mm-hmm. do according to my identity mm-hmm. because I am afraid. That's co- that is coward. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. All of us have been cowardly at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't say that to shame anybody. What I say it is because you can't get away from that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't just say, well, I'm not going to touch it. No, you, th- there's a fight to be fought. There's a life yeah. to be lived. You have to stand up and live. You have to choose. I mean, I've talked to people who are afraid to ask girls out because they don't want to be rejected. I'm like, well, do you, is that what you're here for? Is that mm-hmm. what you want? Is that what you, and they're like, well, no, mm-hmm. but I'm like, well then make a choice and do something mm-hmm. right. Like, I want to change jobs because I feel like I'm, I could do something else so much better mm-hmm. and I, I really hate this job. Okay, well then what's it going to take to switch jobs, mm-hmm. right? You've got to have the courage to do what you believe mm-hmm. you should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? yeah, or even another way that, that it promotes wider human flourishing is even potentially taking a higher role opens up a job that somebody else might be able to do, but might not be able to do the role that you're stepping into. And so even, even in just like the most local possible way, you could be opening something up for somebody that because you're competent enough to step into the new thing, but fearful of taking it, you're actually holding a spot that somebody else could be stepping into. Yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, I could have told Lynn Hay Methodist church, the church has doubled in size since I've been here. If you give me a $15,000 raise, I can stay here for the rest of my career and mm-hmm. fish with dolphins and mm-hmm. scuba dive. And I would have loved to do that. Mm-hmm. I believe God wanted me to do as much as I could in the kingdom and to go to a secular city and fight for the gospel there. And I, when I, and when I came here, there were like three people on staff, right? Or five, I think total, if you include children's music. And now there's like 17 to 25, right? Cause the church has grown a lot. Mm-hmm. So like, when I came here and I did that work and we got this result, what happened was 15 more people got to work in ministry mm-hmm. for the best hours of their life. Mm-hmm. And a bunch more missionaries got to go mm-hmm. to other places in the yeah. world and yeah. do ministry. And all of that was produced, not literally by me, but me being part of taking a certain power and responsibility and executing it as well as I could do yeah. produced a growth that other people could then step up into to the point where we like, we've got people all over the country now who like learned here and left and all that happened because God was like, you have to step up into something more like mm-hmm. you can do more. So you need to go do it. And I think that that's over the years I've come to believe that that's the right kind of ambition. Mm-hmm. The idea that I could create more productivity it may not make me wealthier, but it will it will produce more flourishing for more people and give more people opportunities. So mm-hmm. I, Kent Rahauser, who owns a business in the church, I've heard him talk about thinking about his business in terms of how many jobs he's able to provide for people mm-hmm. and how much positive work those people can do to cause flourishing in the lives of others. Mm-hmm. Like these people don't just have jobs and they can pay for wives and children, but they have jobs where they go and do something that matters mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that's exactly how we should think. And so, I, yeah, I, I, I think that's really important. And if you say, oh, well, I can't touch power, I won't do it. Well, what that means is, is that all the positions of power will be held by the most ruthless people. Mm-hmm. Is that the world you want to live in? Mm-hmm. Is that the world Jesus wants you to be part of? And the answer is no. So you have to find the courage <laughs> yeah. to love. I mean, it's the courage to love because it's unloving to leave the earth and all its people to be whatever they would be without you. Mm-hmm. when you have something to contribute. So for the sake of time, I'm going to combine the last three and move through them a little quicker. Okay. Um, number six and number eight, responsibility and authority always need to go together. And also virtue, virtuous character is critical for authority. Mm-hmm. Do you want to comment more on those? Yeah, I just think it's really important whenever you take authority, whenever you take a responsibility on, um, you should say, okay, am I, do I, am I getting the authority necessary to accomplish this responsibility? And vice versa, 
don't take any authority unless you know what responsibility you're taking. Mm-hmm. If you're taking authority and you don't know what the responsibility is, you're creating a huge problem for yourself mm-hmm. because either you're going to take an authority that everybody's going to resent because it doesn't have a meaningful responsibility tied to it. And so everyone's going to hate you mm-hmm. because they won't see why you're wielding this authority. Mm-hmm. You better know what that responsibility is. And I think that, um, and also if you're going to step into any kind of responsibility that has authority, your character needs to be up to the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's not, um, you're just going to be grow corrupt. You're just going to grow more corrupt and you're going to th- find a way to convince yourself that you're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The self delusion is very strong in that. And more importantly than that, like I said before, hierarchies are prone to corruption mm-hmm. because they involve power and the seven deadly sins can turn power into all kinds of, all kinds of corruptions. So your character doesn't have to just be up to the, the bottom level of not growing more corrupt. You're entering into that hierarchy to bring the reform it needs. Mm -hmm. And so your character has to be up to being a reforming influence in the whole of the hierarchy that you're a part of, not just not corrupting your particular rung in the ladder Mm -hmm. of your hierarchy. That requires more courage and more competence. So Mm -hmm. I think fighting for that is incredibly important Mm -hmm. to prepare yourself. And so I think everybody should expect to be increasingly part of hierarchies throughout their life and Mm -hmm. they should be preparing themselves for it Mm -hmm. because if you understand this passage as related to hierarchies it's instructing us on how we're going to be living for most of the days of our lives and the last one um decide on accepting or seeking authority on the basis of the responsibility first then decide if the authority fits the responsibility right so instead of being like, I want to be an important person, and I want that right. spot, right? Mm-hmm. It says in First Timothy about elders in the church, mm-hmm. he who wants to do the work of an elder mm-hmm. desires yeah. desires a noble task. Mm-hmm. So it's focused entirely on the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Once you have the responsibility straightened out, then the very next thing the Bible says is, okay, now determine whether or not the person has the right character, mm-hmm. right? And a few competencies, mm-hmm. and then they can have the position. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a faithful way to think as a Christian about any authority. Mm-hmm. What is the responsibility this authority exists to provide for people? Hmm. And do I want to take up that responsibility? Hmm. Okay, if it if I do, that means I have to take up and wield the authority mm-hmm. and hold the position. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, then I need to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think you should think it through that way. Mm-hmm. And I think if you do, then when you start to get persecuted for your position of authority, you'll be able to handle it better Mm -hmm. because you'll know why you're there. You know why you're in that functional space. You know that it's going to be difficult. You know that you're going to be attacked by people who don't understand it. And that'll all feel much more natural Mm -hmm. rather than just like this blind sighting of betrayal, Mm -hmm. which it will also be. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot there to chew on. And if you, we give another plug. If you have any questions or comments or any requests about things you'd like to hear us talk about, you can send us an email to podcast at highpointchurch.org. And we wanted to share with you at the end of this episode some feedback that we received on a previous episode of the podcast. Um, Nick, you want to share that quickly? Yeah, we just received one specifically related to the uh, Responding and Knowing God's Will podcast. Mm-hmm. We had a, a guy write it in just say, that was so applicable directly mm-hmm. to how I've been feeling recently and helped me with some college with some decisions I was making right now. But he, there's a few paragraphs about his experience in college, just believing he had to hear God's voice mm-hmm. for what he was going to do with his life or who he was going to date and how paralyzing that was and how it led him to be so focused on quote, hearing from God or experiencing visions or something that he just, it just turned him completely inside out. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and he, he was, and he was, he, he wrote about being in denial about his fear, his like depression. Yeah because he just felt like that would be admitting that God had failed him and he didn't want to do that. And Mm -hmm. so there's all kinds of knots that people can tie themselves into with a bad doctrine of the hearing the voice of God or Mm -hmm. knowing the will of God. Um, And so you might check out that podcast, which I think is one or two before the Mm -hmm. last one. Also the book by Philip Carey, um, Good News for Anxious Christians is just an enormously helpful book on that topic. Mm -hmm. If you're a younger believer and you haven't read that book, I would say that's that's one of the probably top 10 books I recommend to people under 40 years old mm-hmm. is Good News for Anxious Christians. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make very clear, that does not mean I don't think you can hear God's voice yeah, or that God doesn't reveal things to us or speak to us or lead us subjectively in our intuitions and our conscience. I'm not mm-hmm. speaking against any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's in the Bible a lot less than people think it is, but I don't think it's, I don't reject it as part of Christian experience. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's part of normative Christian experience. Yeah. Or that if it's not there, that that's a problem with you, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. I think that that podcast just helped a lot. I've, a lot. I've seen a lot of people helped by that message. So 
if you haven't didn't listen to the episode, listen to it. Mm-hmm. Episode um, 149. Episode 149. Thank you. And you, there may be some people you would want to share that episode with. Yeah. And one of the best ways we have to find new listeners is not just to share that the podcast exists, but particular episodes that particularly spoke mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. That is often what causes people to fall in love with a podcast mm-hmm. and to continue listening. Oh. So thanks to the person you know who you are who wrote in with yeah. that. Uh, I don't have his permission to say his name. That's why I'm not right. doing so. Um, for writing in about your experience and sharing that with us so we can share it with others. And thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope that uh, it really does. It's not a cliche. We really hope it helps you grow in substance and um, understand better um, how to walk uh, faithfully in the stewardship that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it was engaging and equipping. Yeah, yeah. go and be equipped. <laughs> All right, see you guys next time. Right. See Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.